0: Hello and welcome to Embrace Relief with Chelsea Winterholler. I am a certified life coach who helps moms embrace the relief that comes from finding emotional freedom around your child's future. I have had a child die. I have a child who experiences anxiety and I have a child who lives with a life-threatening allergy and I used to go at facing it all alone. The worry and fear completely consumed me. Until I found a life coach who would help me process all of the emotions that I was having about my children's futures. I am so excited to help you on this journey and watch you, in turn, help your kids. This is episode 59, an interview with master certified weight and life coach Corinne Crabtree. Hello, hello. First things first, I want to tell you a little bit about my guest today. Her name is Corinne Crabtree. She is a master certified weight and life coach, and her mission is to help every woman break generational curses in order to improve their personal health and wealth. Something really amazing about Corinne is she lost 100 pounds 15 years ago, and ever since, she has dedicated her life to teaching women how to do the same. Not only does she do that, but Corinne is one of the leading voices in the weight loss and business industry. She is the host of a wildly successful podcast. If you have not listened to it, pause what you're doing and go follow her right now. It's called Losing 100 Pounds with Corinne. It's been downloaded over 50 million times times in 160 countries and over 1 million women have taken her free weight loss course and Corinne now serves over 14,000 paid members in her program called the No BS Weight Loss Program and I actually have friends who are a part of her program and cannot stop raving about it After she was featured as an expert at the Life Coach School and having her business rank number 1,052 in the 5,000 fastest growing businesses of 2022, Corinne founded the No BS Business Women's Membership, and this program provides online entrepreneurs with simple frameworks and tools and the focus that they need to take some action and learn how to build the business of their dreams. And in addition to that, CRIN offers advanced weight loss life coach training for coaches and dietitians and medical professionals who want to improve their clients' weight loss outcomes. And this is what you all really want to know, where you can find Corinne. You can definitely find her on her podcast and you can also find her on Facebook and Instagram talking about how she doesn't exactly love diets and also about the online marketing industry. Her greatest passion is helping women get rid of their old thoughts by using self-love to never quit on themselves again. And can I just tell you, I need that. We all need that. We need a little more love, a little more compassion for ourselves. We all need to figure out how to stop quitting on ourselves. And that's why I am so excited to share this interview with all of you that I did with Corinne Crabtree. All right. Well, hello, listeners. I am so excited for today. I have my new friend here, Corinne Crabtree. And I, as I was thinking about what do I want to approach with with her, she has so much knowledge and so much to offer each of you. Um, I was just thinking about how I talk to each of you every single day about how to find emotional freedom from your child's diagnosis, And it's specifically around your kids' food allergies, right? And we talk a lot about all the fear and overwhelm that comes along with it. So Corinne, I don't know if you know this, but my son is in a program that helps him find, it's called food freedom. That's what they call it, from his anaphylactic peanut allergy. So they're actually gonna help him find remission from it. Oh, and, wow. Yeah. it's, it's really neat. So I know that you have um, some challenges and knowledge around feelings of fear and overwhelm with a child who has unique circumstances. And I think that that is similar to what my listeners experience on a daily basis. And I work with those moms to find emotional freedom and to take a step back from their child's constant needs, and kind of focus on themselves, even if it's only for a short time. So I feel like you are the perfect person to help my clients find freedom around one specific area, which is their food freedom, right? Kind of figuring out how to put themselves first every Mm -hmm. once in a while, and find their own version of freedom in their lives. So I am just so excited to introduce you all. Corinne, thank you so much for being here.
1: Well, thank you for having me. I'm I'm really looking forward to this conversation because I definitely, um, with my son having autism, like I had to really work on my relationship with myself as a mother and everything that came along with that in order to be able to like just have a relationship with him that wasn't just therapist or like for me, that was my big issue was for years, like I just went into therapy mode. Like I've got to save this baby. I got to do all these things. And I was like, we don't have time to be a mother. (laughs) Like We have an emergency happening here.
0: Yes. And that's how we feel all Mm -hmm. of the time with our child's diagnosis. Like we just have to make sure they're safe and alive and hopefully they make it through the next few years of their life. Right. It's such a panic mode. So what, um, I'd love you to fill us in a little bit, maybe on some of like your most common feelings. And maybe when your son was a little bit younger, he's old now, right? How old is he now? He's 20. He'll be 21 in October. Okay. Okay. So yeah, some of the feelings that surrounded your relationship with him um, as you have been navigating his diagnosis.
1: Yeah. So one thing I would like to tell all of you is that it's even though he's twenty, I still work on it. Like <laughs> yeah. it's one of those things where I I'm like, when I asked my mom, I'm almost fifty, and I asked my mother the other day about, you know, like when do you quit worrying about your kid, when you do other, And she was like, I don't know. I haven't quit worrying about you and your brother ever. <laughs> so Good to know. yeah, it's like it's I think it's normal for us as mothers, like we're just I, I always have told my clients it's like we are equipped with a tornado siren in our head. And it doesn't go off until we have children. (laughs) And then when you have children, it's like all of a sudden little things just like, I mean, it just kicks up and it's like something bad, just in case something bad's about to happen, I'm gonna sound the alarm every Mm -hmm. single time. So for me, yeah, when he was little, um, probably the toughest emotion that I had to navigate was guilt. I had a lot of guilt around and it would come in waves of different things. And it literally lasted. It probably didn't start going away until mm, like 2020, like during the pandemic. Cause I remember getting coached on this.
0: Yes. I was was going to say, why, why did it start going away? Was it because of his circumstance or something clicked for you? Right. It was the exact
1: same things were happening all the time. I really had to change my outlook on it. So when he was little, the guilt came, the initial waves of guilt came in from, I, I felt guilty that I couldn't fix him Mm -hmm. all the time. Like I should be able to fix him or there's going to be something that comes out and like, I should be able to find this. Or like, I was always worried that there was some discovery or something out there and I just wasn't finding it. Or I would feel guilty for, um, getting tired, like, and not wanting to, like, he was, um, real high needs. So I felt guilty that I wasn't just on all the time. Like I would have, I would feel guilty in the moments when I was frustrated with him. I'd feel guilty when I didn't want to be with him. Like there were just like, he's a wonderful child now, but good Lord, when he was like between the ages of, he got diagnosed at five and from about three until 10, he had no way to really ever tell us when something was wrong outside of throwing a huge fit. Like it was just crying. It was tears. It was anger. It was just like, you know, like he went through a stage of fighting and fighting, like it was all these things. And I would have so much guilt around, like, it wasn't that I didn't love, I didn't love what he was doing. And I used to associate that with, I must mean I don't love him.
0: Right. So like,
1: there was just all these things that went on. And then All he got better in terms of being able to like self-regulate. We we did so much therapy and stuff, but then when he got to, (laughs) what's hilarious is when he was little, he didn't talk. Like he had language, but he didn't know how to communicate. So like he could, like he could point to president faces and tell you exactly which president it was. He could tell you like what years that they were the president but to just have a conversation about what do you like? Like, I would ask him like, what do you want for dinner? He he never could pick. Like he just couldn't, like, if we wanted to just talk about like when he was like 10 or 11, if I just asked him how his day went, good, good. Like he just couldn't really communicate. And so eventually he he overcame that. Like with enough therapy that happened, but I used to worry so much that he would never be able to talk to me and that like that would happen.
0: Yeah, yeah. And mom, sorry, moms feel that so much in general, right? We're, we're always worried and projecting about what the worst case scenario is going to be. And that, that brings that guilt in so fast and heavy. For sure. So how did you find like a little release from that guilt? So it
1: wasn't until like literally in 2020. So he was diagnosed probably in 2000 and I think it was like 2006, seven And then in 2020, I I had a coach and I was just like, we were home all the time. And he like, of course I was still running my business and my business was running great. And all I wanted to do at the end of the day was sit by my pool and do nothing. Well, he would just wait. And then the second that I'd go outside, he'd want to talk to me. And I mean, when Logan starts talking, it is nonstop. Like, and it's always about very, um, it, it he and I just don't have a lot in common like I love that child now like to death and mm-hmm. I can appreciate some of his topics but you know you can only talk about Russian operas so much and um, the lives of North Koreans and like he just like got so yes. fascinated with like these you know obscure yeah. topics and, and I'm someone... more like into fashion and sports and yes. stuff he could care less about
0: I have well, I, I would have sit someone there. in my life that has autism and I could not love the kid more, but yeah, the topic differentials, <laughs> they are real.
1: Wow. They are
0: bad. Yes. Well, every day he'd come to me and he'd want to talk and all I would sit there
1: w- and do is just think, I don't want to talk to you. I hate this topic. This is so boring. You know, like, like in my mind, I was just ex- in excruciating pain. So I went to my coach and I, and I would feel so guilty about it. Because I wasn't one of those moms who's just like, like in, like in the autism land, there's a lot of these moms are just like, I don't know it on social media. They like, they just like, everything is just pancakes and syrup. And they're just sitting there just trying to get all of it, sop every last second of it up. And I'm just like, boo, pancakes and syrup. Exactly. She said, Corinne, this is mothering. And she said, she talked to me about like what mothering is. And she said, mothering includes sometimes not liking your child mothering includes being bored. Mothering includes wanting time for yourself. Mothering, like it includes all of it. And it includes your love for your child, your passion to help your child. It includes so many things, but it wasn't until she really had me define that mothering was more than perfect moments or this perfect way to show up. I was left with guilt. And I remember crying my eyes out and she just said, all I want you to do for a few weeks is every time you're not happy." Every time you're not having a good time, like any of the negative side of it, she said, I want you to just put your hand over your heart and tell yourself, this is mothering too. This is like when it really matters because mothers love their children even when they themselves don't feel all the feelings. And I was like, I wish somebody had told me this when Yoga was younger. <laughs> it was all the years where I was like, yeah. I must be a bad mother because this is happening. <laughs> yeah.
0: Sometimes you need that permission from someone, right? And yes. just someone to point it out. Like, What if it's just all of you is exactly who he needs yes. right here in this moment. No, you don't have to be any different than you are. And yeah. we feel that so strong and it totally brings that guilt.
1: I think it's also when you have such a high standard for yourself, like, like this perfect idea of what it's supposed to be like, and you're always like comparing up to that, what happens is you miss out on all of the actual good things that you do. It's like, you're so focused on who you're not, that you don't even get to have the the moments where you're just like, I'm just proud of me for showing up. Like, I'm just proud, like, there, like, when I look back now, I can look back on all the years, like, Hours upon hours, spending time in the car with him, driving him to therapists all over Nashville, you know, like 90 minutes away from my house in traffic and stuff. And I'm like, I never was proud of that. I never like patted myself on the back. It was just like, you're supposed to do this. And you're a terrible mother because you're sitting in the car wishing you were at home. It's like, yeah, like you just, you know, set aside everything you needed to do for the day to make sure this baby gets taken care of. It's like when we do that comparison, when we, if we don't really embrace that motherhood is all of it, then we don't even get to enjoy the parts in the moments where we are showing up.
0: I love that so much. Motherhood is all of it. And it is, I like that you said comparing up. I don't mm-hmm. think I've ever heard that before, but it's so true. We were constantly comparing up to this crazy level that no mother or human actually lives at instead yeah. of appreciating us and yeah. taking a breath and looking at how awesome we are sometimes mm-hmm. for, for sure. sure. So I want to talk to you a little bit about processing fear And, um, I have listened to you quite a bit and I know that you're a a master at this. Um, and I feel as well as all of my listeners this and and my clients, this is what we tend to coach on most is the fear that we have around our child's futures. So can you like, kind of help us I don't know, walk us through how, how you have done it, how maybe in the past and now how, you know, um, would be best to do it for yourself.
1: So I think like, I guess what's really helped me recently is because I I really had to just come to grips with really don't know what's going to happen in Logan's future. Like I remember telling myself it is equally as true that it could be a disaster and he lives with us for the rest of his life and can't take care of himself and it's just as equally as true as he could be fine like nothing i think will happen like i like in the beginning that was the most peaceful thought that i had it's like it gave um it it gave me compassion and understanding for the part of me that was very afraid for his future which i think is a normal mother response I think a lot of times coaches are trying to get us to not think those things. And I'm like, I don't know. I think most, like I'm looking at my 60 something year old mom and she's still sitting there worrying about me and I'm almost 50 and I've done well. And she still figures out a way to worry about me. (laughs) Like, I just think like, rather than trying to extinguish it or whatever, it's like, just know when it's happening, but at least give yourself the grace to say I think it's normal for moms to worry. But the healthiest thing that we can do for ourselves is just tell ourselves the truth. Our worries and fears aren't the only truth in the room. There are other things that are equally as true. Just like everything you think bad that's going to happen, there's probably other things that could happen. They may not be the best. They may be awesome. You just like, it's like this whole idea of, we really never can predict the future. But our brains really try because it wants to be certain. So one of the things for me has been like to give my brain certainty. I always say, I'm certain of one thing. I have really no idea what will happen. I'm certain that I get afraid of the worst case scenarios because I love him so much. I'm certain that in the moments when I'm scared and when I'm worrying, I can calm myself down. I do a lot of... Um, there's like two, two things that I do a lot of. Number one is what is in my control right now? Like that just brings me so much peace as someone who is like, I'm a, I'm not a control freak, but I'm a definitely an A type personality. So I like to take charge. I like to take the lead and my fears run away with me on things where I can't just fix the outcome, you know, and this is a situation. I can't fix Logan's outcome. I do not know. It's like dependent upon him. And his autism, like there's so many factors that go into it. There's no guaranteeing anything, but what is in my control? And I often tell myself, like for me, I was like, all right, if I can't control Logan's future, what I can control is how much money I put away for his future. I can't control how we set up him financially, no matter what happens after we're gone. That was a huge fear for me was that we would die He has no siblings. Mm -hmm. He wouldn't be able to take care of himself. And so what I knew that I was in control of was figuring out how we would set him up financially so that he could have a life where he was taken care of Mm -hmm. and all the things. And I worked for years on doing that. And then like, I also tell myself in those moments, like I put my hand over my heart and I just take a few deep breaths. And I usually just tell myself, like you're just worrying your mind is creating a lot of catastrophes, most of which is probably not true. Mm. And the reason why I can believe that in the moment is because when I'm not panicking, when I'm not worrying and freaking out, I often will write about Logan and I will write about our relationship and I will write about his, like whatever I'm worried about. I will do it when I'm not just in a journal. Mm -hmm. I will do it when I'm not highly activated or Like my mind's running wild so that the logical side of me can come in and say, here's also things that are true. So just in that moment, like I've already done all that work. I'm not trying to access my logical brain. I'm just trying to, I'm just reminding myself, girl, you have thought about this before. This is what you do. You sometimes just get so worried and so anxious. It's normal for you. And that right there calms me down enough to where I'm like, I now I can breathe. I don't have to freak out. I don't have to do a bunch of crap and be like, Oh, why'd I do all that later on?
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, just those two things like accessing, like, what is the truth here? Can it go really bad or will it go maybe good. And then mm-hmm. normalizing it. I love yeah. that. Just, this is normal. The feelings are normal. The fear is normal. Asking yourself if this is true or not is normal. Yeah. I love that. That is so great. I love those two questions. I'm going to write them down somewhere in my house. I love sticky notes. Do you like sticky notes?
1: Oh my gosh. Yes. I have them all over my house. Like I'm always like, I've got some right here, right now.
0: Yes. I I put them on my mirror. I'm going to write those two questions. You're going to be on my mirror, Corinne. I love it. Oh, that's awesome. (laughs) Okay. So I did want to, for a minute, Um, relate this food freedom thing so we're trying to get our kids to food freedom to um, reach their potential with their allergies getting either where they feel safe and feel free or actually beating their allergies Um, and the moms that I talk to so many of them um, are turning to food or binging food when the stressors of being a mom and raising their child become too overwhelming to them. So I want to ask you what food freedom even looks like to you. Like just as a mom a, someone who's living life, trying to navigate all of this, what is food freedom to you who are a master at teaching this? So one thing is
1: I don't teach, especially my weight loss clients, I don't teach them that any foods are good or bad. Like I always talk to them about when you're eating things like they have, there's a lot of reasons behind why we eat lots of foods. Sometimes we're eating like it's cultural for us, or we really like the taste. This is a moment that we want to be entertained, or this is a moment where we're eating so that we can be fueled for later or feel um, physically have more energy. There's lots of reasons why we eat. So when you try to box foods into healthy or not healthy or whatever, you lose out on being intentional behind eating. And one of the concepts that I teach really hard with my clients is you can have food freedom when you start learning how to remove the emotional ties to food. So there are three types of eating that most people do that um, that causes weight gain. One is just habit eating. You just get used to eating At certain times or you just get used to having like a lot of times people are like I'm just in the habit of dessert at night I've been eating dessert for you know 20 something years and whether you're hungry or not you're just doing so habit eating is a lot of just um I'm just doing it I've not even questioned doing it in a long time but I'm aware of the habit Mm -hmm. mindless eating a lot of us do which is we don't even realize we're doing it anymore it's Uh, cleaning up, like I I always called myself the human garbage disposal. Whenever I cleaned up from dinner, I was like, whatever's left in the pan went in my mouth. If, you know, Logan left a chicken tender on his plate, I popped that in my mouth. If we were in the car and he didn't finish something, I ate the leftovers. There's mindless eating, which is usually just, you have to pay attention. You don't even know you're doing it. Yeah. Then there's emotional eating, which is where most of us who are struggling with our children, This is where we are um, eating because we either want to feel something or we're trying to escape something. And it is the one that every human does at some point, but it's also the one that I like fixing the most with clients because it changes their life. When you clean up habit eating and mindless eating, you'll lose weight, but your quality of life doesn't really change. When you start addressing like eating because it's the only way you know how to give yourself a break, eating because you feel so terrible about your children or um, your ability, like for me, like the guilt behind not enjoying my child as much. When you cut out all of that eating because you addressed the root cause problem, you learned how to talk to yourself. You learned how to take breaks without guilt. You learned how to put you back into, um, back into ever everything. Like uh, a lot of moms feel very, they like the only way I'm ever going to be able to do self-care is if I get selfish. (laughs) It's like when you (laughs) redefine what self-care looks like, what it is and what it means, it doesn't mean you're selfish. It means that you're now taking care of yourself in such a way that you have enough energy to stop giving everybody what's left of you, you start giving everybody the best of you. Yeah. And so when you clean up emotional eating, I'm so passionate about it because it literally changes your life. You get your life back. Right. And the way that I teach the weight loss is you clean that up on top of habit mindless, you get like food freedom because now you're no longer cutting out foods that you love and you're no, like we we aren't just, Villainizing food anymore. We're actually working on ourselves,
0: and that is so amazing. And I, I've seen this happen. I know people who have worked with you through your program, and I've seen every aspect of their life shift. Mm -hmm. And so I'm just, I'm imagining my listeners like, okay, yeah, yeah, I could do the whole. I can, I can clean up the habit. I can clean up the mindless. But what the heck? How do I do the emotional part? Like, yeah help me, what do I, because we don't even know the first step because for 30, 40, 50 years, we've just been taught. That's how you do it. That's how you feel better. You feel better with your, with binging, not just one nice, yummy chocolate chip cookie, but 15 because they're warm and they make me stop feeling my overwhelm. For yes.
1: Yes. There it, food is, especially when we eat large volumes of it and when we're overeating or binging it, I always tell my clients, you were never truly comforted and you were never truly like we never really fixed an emotion. It's whatever you were thinking, your brain just shifted gears to be like, Oh, delicious cookie. It's no longer thinking, Oh, crappy mom, (laughs) you know, like that's literally all that happens. But a lot of times we think, well, it was the cookie that did it, or it was the, you know, all the food. It's like the food never changed your emotions, the food, you started having different thoughts. And if that's the case, what we want to do is we want to learn how to now have different thoughts. And then eventually the food compulsions will go down. Mm-hmm. Because one of the things I try to teach my clients is, you know, in the very beginning, when you're solving for this, you may not see a lot of the food change or of the volumes change a lot in the beginning. They're going to just start kind of dialing down. Mm -hmm. Because that's the thing that diets screw us up on is if you're an emotional eater in particular, a diet, when it has calories or macros or food lists that you're approved to be able to eat does is it removes the thing that you have dealt with in your emotional life. If it's your only emotional coping skill, you have now removed your only coping skill in life. So you are... Not only like I'm um, now I'm eating a certain amount of food and I'm eating these things, but I am left with like, I'm still thinking I'm a crappy mother. I'm just trying not to eat through it now. Yeah. So we are not solving the root problem. And that's where diets screw us up so bad. It's like, well, the way I teach my clients is we're going to start with why are you eating to begin with? And we're going to work on this crappy mother definition. We're going to be doing all of that while you're also like just getting mindful about your eating again. Um, Seeing if you can eat a little bit less, like dialing some of the stuff in. And then as the temperature comes down on, I'm a crappy mother and like, maybe I'm not so bad. Maybe this is just normal. I think other people are like me. Like as those things come in and compassion and understanding comes in, you're not having to solve an emotion with food anymore. And that's how we end up losing weight. You got to lose that emotional mental weight in order for the physical weight to come along for the ride, especially permanently.
0: Yes. I love that. It's so interesting that right there, we're talking about food now and we jumped right back to those two questions. Like, is it the truth? And is this normal? Like it can, it can boil down to that. What other um, questions or, or things do you do to kind of slow that brain chatter down? you know, to not just make you rush to the food that you think is fixing these feelings. What, what else do you go to in your brain?
1: So one of the things, so I teach a concept inside my membership that I can like just share here that I think will be really helpful for your listeners. Um, It's called the four ends. It's the four ends of new belief, but it literally these four ends work, whether or not you're, if you just need to calm yourself down or whatever. And the first one is just the noticing I think the first thing that we all have to do is we have to just notice the crappy thoughts we have about ourselves, the crappy thoughts we have about our children, their diagnoses, their future. Like You have to understand these stories that you're telling yourself. Our brains are a story generating machine. I always tell my clients inside my program, if someone knocked on my door right now and we all heard it we would all have to create a story. Nobody would just think door knocking. You would think like, I wonder who's at her door. I want, like, I would be thinking like, is that that Amazon package that I ordered two days ago? Like I'm hoping to get today. Like our brain automatically starts creating a story. Some people would say like, oh my God, her mic is terrible. If she's, if you can hear everything going on in her background. So we have to just realize our brains are a story making machine. And that's where number two comes in, which is first we're going to notice the stories And then you have to normalize the stories because it's real easy to hear the crap that you think and then be like, oh my God, I'm broken. I shouldn't think those things. Only a horrible person thinks this stuff. If you do that, if you go into judgment land, you will stop listening, but they'll be running in the background, running your life. You will still feel them. You will now be eating over them. And you'll be like, I just don't understand why I can't get my crap together. It's like, because there's something going on in your brain that you haven't heard yet. But if you normalize it and you think, okay, like I've, I've heard this chick on this podcast and she said that all crazy thoughts are normal. That's just what brains do. It's a story-making machine. Or you think, of course I think this. Like When I was a kid, my mom over worried about everything. so it would make sense that I'm freaking out because I actually have a diagnosis of something. Mm-hmm. So we use that next end to just take the pressure off of hearing what our thoughts are. When you can be like this is normal to think this, all mothers feel guilty at times. all mothers um you know blow things out of proportion sometimes. sometimes I just think I'm I don't have control. that's normal. you feel better than you do just letting your thoughts run wild.
0: Yeah, that that speaks to me just in every aspect of my life, not just with my kids, just when I feel like I'm falling short or judging myself constantly, like bringing in that. I love the second end. awesome. The third
1: one is neutralize. And that's literally where we just get back to the facts. So our brains, because it is a story-making machine, you wanna figure out what are those thoughts and then you just say like, all right. But at the end of the day, what's the actual facts here? Like there's, there's me and my runaway freight train dumpster fire rolling down the tracks. And then there's just the facts of what just happened right now. When we do that, when we strip away all of that emotion and stuff, it's like, okay, now we have clean slated it to where we can open up to the last end, which is next best thought or action, which is our kind of like what I was talking about in the beginning. We're not looking for rainbows and daisies here. We're not looking for you to believe something completely polar opposite, but what else is true here? You know, it's, you know, like when I think, when I used to think that Logan would um, never be able to live without us. And then sometimes I still think that I'm like, this kid could live with me for the rest of my life. What else is true is I'm not a fortune teller. Mm -hmm. I have no crystal balls. He, he could surprise me. There could be, um, There could be medications that come out. There could be, there's thousands of things that could happen. He could live with me for the rest of my life and I not care. Like, I just don't know. But like right now, I just need to know like, what is something a little bit better than what I've been thinking? And if, when I think that, what is the best action that I could take from that? Sometimes that's like just putting your hand over your heart. Sometimes it's actually going out and doing something who knows, but that's that four ends. It's like every level gives you some relief from that, um, that emotion and all of that story that our brain just automatically likes to just, you know, churn up for us.
0: Yeah. And you go from that place of like complete chaos, Mm -hmm. right. And just walking yourself through them. you could do that in 30 seconds. Oh yeah. Sometimes it might take A day or seven days, right? (laughs) But I usually have
1: my clients find their most recurrent painful thoughts Mm -hmm. and do those on paper. It's like what we were talking about earlier in the moment when you are in the throes of your emotions and you're, and you're just tired, played out stories that come all the time. It is so hard to apply logic in those moments, unless you've applied logic at a different time. Like to like, like it is a wicked ninja skill to be somebody who has like a brand new thought that's just like hairy and thorny and crazy and, you know, fully charged with emotion to be like, now let me sit here and ponder for a moment. And what are those four ends? Like most of us are never doing that. no But when you spend time just working on some of this on a piece of paper or in your journal, then in the moments when it comes up, so your brain has something to access. And so you're not having to lift so hard in the moment.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we do that. We make ourselves lift so hard, but with just a little bit of preparation along the way or reflection, I love, I freak out all the time, like mm-hmm. all the time.
1: <laughs> and I do too. My and husband I- cracks up because I'm, it's like I get paid to do
0: it. <laughs> yeah just sometimes can't grasp a hold of it um until later and and having those moments and having a coach right yes. help me reflect on it and and walking through those four steps you just gave gets you to a totally different place of action like you said that last that last step you move to action so so what does that do for them when they are turning towards these buffers that aren't producing anything for them. Like walking through this process, then what, what do they get? What's the good part? The good part is like when you, so I
1: have a whole module inside my program. It's This the urges module. It's like, all we're going to do is talk about every, every angle of I want to eat because, (laughs) (laughs) and it's never because I'm hungry. It's like, Oh, I want to eat because I had a bad day. Oh, I want to eat because it's eight o'clock at night. Oh, I want to eat because I deserve a treat. I want to eat because my kid had a bad day. Whatever it is. Like we have a whole module just dedicated to basically, I want to eat because of any other reason than physical hunger.
0: Yeah,
1: And the when you do like the four ends and when you do that stuff, the nice thing that happens is that in the moments when you want something, because we're never going to take your, like, I just don't think you can take desire away. I think we are... Like it's just socialized and in the water now that emotional eating is a thing and everyone emotionally eats, even thin people emotionally eat at times. Yes. It's, we're not taking that desire away. What we're doing is we're finally giving ourselves a choice so that when it comes up, it's like, I knew this was coming. Like, this is what I turn to in moments when I feel, when I've worked on it outside of in the moment, I now have like a crossroads. I have a, like, I have choice now before we just didn't have a choice. It's like, Oh, when I have a bad day, I just eat. Cause I'm a loser and I know nothing else. If that's your story, you're just always going to go down the same path. But when you've offered up a different story, now it's like, now I have a fork in the road, which path do I want to go down?
0: Yeah. And then sometimes
1: we still go down the old one. That's okay. we're now we're just going to work on like, all right, so the next time this happens and the next time it happens, what do I need? That kind of stuff. But we actually get that choice. We have that moment. Like I, one of my favorite clients, her name was Siobhan. She, um, she'd been diagnosed with diabetes and she came into my program because she, she needed to lose, she wanted to lose like 45 pounds or 40 pounds, something like that. But she was really hoping that it would help her with the diabetes. And when she came into the program, she was like, I didn't realize there's going to be all this mental work. Like, good Lord. All we do is talk about like, you know, emotional eating and stuff. Yeah. She's like, I just wanted help with diabetes. And she ended up losing her weight. And she told me, she was like, it really made sense to me. Why? Because there was this one day she said, Corinne, i have been listening to the course, been doing my stuff. And I'd just been eating, even though I had had that diagnosis and stuff. She said, I could see some of my overeating going down. I was cutting out the habit. I was cutting out the mindless stuff. And she said, I don't know what happened, but one day I was standing there and had the fridge opened and I was just looking. And she said, I had wrote about this moment so many times that all of a sudden, instead of grabbing something, a voice came in my head that said, Siobhan, the answers you're looking for are not in there. They are inside you. And she said, Girl, I closed that door. I went and sat down and started asking myself what I really needed. And she said, It took me months of hearing you talk about it. But that moment, I finally had the choice. And she said, and after that, I made better and better choices. And that was when my emotional eating started coming like online and started like um it started making sense to me that I didn't need to. It wasn't that I was trying to solve the diabetes. I was literally trying to solve the emotional eating that I was doing that was driving my diabetes.
0: That is so amazing. I I think that is so powerful. And it's every aspect of our lives. It's not just standing there in front of the fridge, right? Mm -hmm. Choosing if we want the cookie or the broccoli, whichever. It is choosing how we want to feel, how we want to... Normalize all of these thoughts that come into our heads all of the time, and we give those thoughts and that food so much power, yes, so much control over our entire lives. For instead sure. of just reminding ourselves like, what if there is a choice here? Mhm yeah,
1: and you it know. just takes time. I just want all your like all your moms out there to realize like, you know, we didn't get into this emotional eating boat overnight. Especially, you know, when you're talking about your kids, like there's, I was just on another podcast. We were just talking about basic priority, like prioritizing in life. And, you know, with our kids, there are usually our highest priority. We can't help, but like, I think about Logan and as much as I love me and take time for me and stuff, I often think about how much I think about him and he's 20 years old and how like, I may not love like, I may not be a mom who's like doing all the things. But my God, if that kid needs something, I would drop everything in a heartbeat. Yeah. And I have often done that, just been like, you know, like, like I, like, there's a part of me, it's like, I am self sacrificing. I've just learned how to not self sacrifice all the time. I've learned how to prioritize those moments. And when we think about emotional eating, we have to like prioritize. There are going to be times where um, some of the emotional eating is easier to clean up. And then this, like, we got to make it a priority because if you're eating over your kids, it's probably one of those things that's going to take some time to unwind. It's one of those things that's just, I think it just, like, I just think moms are just built out of the box to come with anxiety and worry. Yeah. I think mother nature does it on purpose. It's like mother nature wants your kid to survive. And it, and it, for humans, especially mama, you are in charge, mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> For sure. For sure. And what kind of stood out to me there is I think we think these things aren't possible for us. Yeah. We think they're possible for Corinne. We think they're possible for Chelsea. But like, oh, easy for them to say. So hearing like it is possible for you. It's possible for you to have your kids and prioritize them and also prioritize you. Like it's possible. At.
1: I always like to tell people like we are just like we're just gonna we're not gonna tell first the first thing I always tell people is please don't call taking care of you selfish no one wants to be a like who woke up today and be like I just can't wait to be selfish today I can't wait like I hope everyone thinks I'm a selfish bee like like we're not doing that. And yet we'll say like, well, the only way I'm going to be able to take care of myself is to be just to get selfish. It's like, well, no wonder you repel it. No yeah. wonder in the moments, like if you decide to take a bath, if you decide to shave your legs, if you decide to do anything for yourself, you feel gross as hell when you're doing it. Yeah. If you've labeled it as selfishness. So I always tell people, first of all, we have to number, but like, I think there's like three levels of self-care.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Level one is what I just call like, it is the basic version of self-care that no one in the world ever sees and it, but it's the one that is the most needed and that's inner self-care
0: mm-hmm.
1: it's how you talk to yourself it is that everything that we've been talking about it is the relationship you have with you inside your mind about your children about your mothering about your life about your weight whatever it is if if you're like literally snowed in life so busy like you've got so much you got to do for your kids and stuff and you don't have time for external self-care then it don't crap out on the inner because it takes no time for you to like at best to squirrel away if you are sitting on a toilet and you are going to potty you can do the four ends on your phone during that time yeah It can happen. And most, like, once you start unraveling a little bit what's going on with your story with those four ends, no one sees, no one's, like, suffering because you're giving yourself compassion, understanding, and a new way to think about things. Then the second level of self-care is what I call micro-moments self-care, which is just, you know, if you can stand in your shower an extra two minutes, if you're on your way home, And before you go in, if you can just sit in your driveway for two minutes and do some deep breathing, like there's so many opportunities for micro moment self-care in the world. And yet we don't take it because our definition of self-care usually is weekends away, babysitters, pedicures. It's always these like big grandiose things. I'm like, oh my God, so many of you would feel better if you just did Inner self-care and micro-moment self-care. You feel like a thousand percent better just with that. Mm
0: -hmm. Then we
1: have like what we call what everybody else sees, which is mama's taking a minute. Mama's going out for a walk. Mama's like mama now has to ask for support. Mama has to do some things that maybe some of you would be like, oh, but I want you here. And it's like, and you'll be okay if I'm not. Like that's the, like, that's third level. I'm like, most women try to start with third level. I aden- didn't call that selfish and then wonder why they don't do it.
0: Right. It's like,
1: let's just start at ground. Like let's start at level one. Then we can move to level two. And then you're probably going to find that doing level three, oh. you will work it in and you will feel better about it and you won't feel gross and it will actually be restorative. Yeah.
0: And just starting and we can all do level one. And level two. Everybody can do it. So yes. there's no excuse there. We all go to the bathroom. We yeah. all brush our teeth. We all drive our car, you know? So that's, I, oh, I'm so glad that we could talk today, Corinne. I am really just excited for all of my listeners and my clients and everyone to hear all of these beautiful things. And not just, not just about food, but about like actually just having a little compassion for me. For us and everything that will create in their lives. Thank you so much. Do you have any send off sentence, favorite quote, anything that like you want to send us off with? Just
1: for everyone, the most powerful thing that happened for me with my mothering was just that whole, no matter what's going on, no matter how I feel in that moment that that's mothering too. Like just the whole it it gave me so much relief to know that mothering wasn't just one way or some perfect thing. It was this moment's mothering too. It's all mothering.
0: For sure. Awesome. Thank you so much, Corinne. We're so glad that you could come today. Thank you. If you are learning from and enjoying this podcast, go to my website and book a mini consultation session at winterhollercoaching.com. You can also give me a shout out on your favorite podcast app or simply recommend this to a friend. Find me on Instagram at winterhollercoaching. Thanks for joining me today. I will see you next week.